Hi, and welcome to today's episode. Before we jump right in, I wanted to just to quickly come in and say hi, I'm Adriana. And if you could please hit subscribe to this podcast, if you have listened to my other ones, and you've enjoyed some of the resources that I put out there. And if you could also kindly rate this podcast, I would love a five star review, but you know, you rate it as you feel I have earned. So if you could please subscribe and submit a review and share this with anyone that you feel would benefit from family chemotherapy podcast. Thank you so much. Welcome to Family Chemotherapy, where we discuss ways to cope through a pediatric cancer diagnosis. I'm your host, Adriana Lewin. Hello. It's been a long time since I've gotten on one of these video things, but I really feel the need to kind of come on here and start um, sharing some of the things that I've learned in the past year. I know last year um, I had every intention of starting with, you know, essentially working through helping you guys work through um, the trauma and the PTSD and just the experience of being a caregiver. However, things kind of turned in the middle of the year when. Um, I started having some health things come up and I had to go start taking care of my own health. And I've same thing going through specialist after specialist and getting second opinions and then um, physical therapy for certain things that were flaring up. And it was just a very, very busy year. Um, and to add on top of that, I, my son ended up having a surgery um, that was post-treatment um, induced, right? And uh, as you know, my child had rhabdomyosarcoma sarcoma back in 2019, 2020, and had radiation and chemo. And so with that came a lot of um, after effects health-wise that we still to this day manage and will be managing for the rest of his life. So there were just a lot of specialist appointments between my child and myself, and it got really crazy busy. But I did want to come on here and start talking about just the experience and things that I've learned um, as a therapist and um, things that I've learned being a caregiver to a childhood cancer survivor and how that's impacted everybody in the family system. Um, let's start out with uh, my children. So it was interesting because last year was really the first full year that we had gone through the public school system. And my child had, or two of my children were in the public school system for the first time for an entire full year. Um, one was in kindergarten, the other one in first grade. It was interesting because I did not know that at the school, they have a childhood cancer awareness, or not childhood cancer awareness. They have just a cancer awareness week. So every day of Monday through Friday, they discuss cancer in adults. And then they do have a day that's designated for addressing childhood cancer. But I found in that week that my child or my children were in school. One of my children, the oldest one began to struggle emotionally. Um, but it also happened to coincide with adding a new activity into our schedule. As y'all know, um, some parents might have their kids in activities every single day. I am of the mindset of allowing my kids to have a little more um, 
boredom because boredom creates creativity. Um, and something about our generation, parenting in our generation is like, we have a tendency to put our kids in multiple activities instead of allowing them to just get bored and be forced to find things and activities to do. So I am of the mindset of creating a balance. Yes. I want to put my kids in activities, but I also want my kids to, um, have opportunities to have a childhood, much like I guess I had, right. Uh, going out with my friends and being out in the playground and stuff like that. So, um, what ended up happening though, is we added one more activity and that was about the same week that they were having the cancer awareness week. And I don't know, it's like correlation does not equal causation is a big thing in statistics, right? Like when you're trying to prove or disprove, did this cause this? It could be just correlation, not causation. It did not cause it, but it is aligned with it. It's, it could be, you know, linked together. Um, just coincidence, basically. So in this situation, it was hard to determine why my one of my children was struggling emotionally. Was it because we added a new activity or was it because the effect of talking about cancer, right? And it's never really been a taboo conversation in our home. Um, we talk about it when it comes up and we're constantly addressing how new medical things create um, the ongoing medical attention that one child will need. So um, when my kids started getting emotional and I started seeing it come up every single day in the different sports that he was playing, decided, okay, it's time to start addressing this and seeing if they're like letting, letting my child have a place to process. Now, keep in mind when my son was diagnosed with cancer, we were at the onset of the pandemic. It was overseas. It was Thanksgiving in the U S literally Thanksgiving evening. Um, and I was naive to think that it wasn't going to make it across the ocean, like Ebola, right? Because Ebola made it here, but we were able to contain it. So I was thinking, okay, we should be okay. Didn't realize that this COVID-19 was going to like just completely upset the entire world, that it was going to be a pandemic. Um, Naive, I know, hopeful even, maybe also, right? But my child going through cancer during that time was a struggle because I knew we originally started out in Houston for about a month and a half. And then we moved back to Dallas and resumed treatment here at the local hospital here in, in Dallas. But what happened was when things started to settle, I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing therapy for myself. I'm going to get my child into therapy. I'm going to get the sibling into therapy. I'm going to put them in music lessons and have somebody come in because we couldn't really get out at that point. Um, it was flu season. And so we were just being a little more cautious with an immunocompromised child. But I thought I'll put, it, put them in music lessons, Have let them have an opportunity to express their emotions through something like music. And then Frisco got its first um, COVID-19 positive, you know, in the family, um, in their entire family. I guess it was almost all of them came down with COVID-19. And then within a matter of days, Dallas went in the complete 
um, shelter in place, shelter at home um, protocol. And we had just started radiation at that point. And it was terrifying. So um, going every day into radiation, you know, the, the hospital that treated him for that, uh, knowing that every day I was exposing him, my child and myself to COVID-19, it just created a certain level of anxiety. And with that also meant that that week was when I had a parent consult set up to have my child, uh, my oldest one start therapy. I had started looking into options for my child that was going through treatment through the hospital because there is a medically, you know, a medical based therapist there that is, um, very experienced in working with children with medical uh, needs. And I guess you can call them medically fragile kids. I don't like the word fragile. It just makes me cringe. But um, so I had one child in therapy, but I wasn't able to get my oldest one in therapy. And my oldest one, he was the one who asked me like, mom, is my brother going to die when he was five years old? Right. Imagine being confronted with that question and having to figure out how to answer that um, honestly. Because, you know, you can't say, no, your brother's not going to die. Like, that's what you hope for. But the only answer I could have given my child at that time was, I don't know. But we're doing the best that we can, going to the best doctors that we can find to help your brother help your brother get better. Um, so therapy at that point became no longer an option because the shutdown. Nobody was doing anything. Everybody was, you know... Um, stuck at home and figuring out how do we work from home. But my kid was too young to really benefit from telehealth, to be honest, um, especially starting out, not having had built rapport with a therapist. So we missed that boat. And then we went through the pandemic, started him through school. Once my kid uh, was no longer immunocompromised and had finished treatment. And this was probably the first time, you know, we were sending our kids to school with masks because we were still in that like um, scared mode. I mean, let's be real. I was scared. Like my kid finished treatment, but the numbers did not. It took almost a year for my kids numbers to stabilize. Some weeks he was not immunocompromised and some weeks he, he was borderline immunocompromised. So getting back out into the world, we, you know, that was the most that we allowed our kids to go into places was like the school. And we're like masking them up. Um, so we didn't put the oldest one in therapy for a while. And I guess, you know, as a therapist, I probably should have been more on top of that. Um, but I really did notice once, you know, once there was more emotions going on, realize, okay, he's hitting a new developmental stage. Um, because, even if I had my kid in therapy at the age of five, he could have processed things and been fine, you know, within six, seven months, maybe whatever. Right. Like, I don't know, but then you, they're no longer in therapy because they've kind of reached a place where they're like, okay, I've got this, I'm handling it. Okay. And then you realize, okay, well, we're hitting a new developmental milestone here and level of comprehension is changing. So the idea of death from a five-year-old versus seven or eight-year-old it's completely different. And 
seven or eight year olds might have a little more imagination and more understanding that this is a little more permanent. Like death is not somebody dies and they're here again. Right. Um, they're coming back. You're going to get to see them again. You know, even if you do believe in the afterlife and whatever your religious beliefs are like here, like they have a hard time at five-year-old understanding the definitive term of death, right? How it's, it's done. It's a done deal. Um, and so yes, putting my kid in therapy, we started doing that. We started exploring that and, um, helping my kids process what that experience was like for them. And during that time I was doing my EMDR training and that was really important, um, an important training I had wanted to do before my kid had been diagnosed with cancer. Um, it was something that I was going to do before my brother had passed away, um, And I put, you know, I was going through my grief and then put a lot of things on hold and just kind of lived in survival. And then remember thinking, I'm ready. I'm going to start training in this and this and that. And then we get the diagnosis and I had to put all of that on hold. And I honestly, I didn't even know if I would return back to therapy because, um, as a therapist, because I didn't know if I would be capable of doing that. And I didn't know what the future held really at that point. Um, so exploring EMDR, allowing my kids to find a place. Those were really important things that needed attention. And that was definitely things that I had to make a priority in the past year. So I tell you this story really to just kind of draw attention. Are you noticing your child ask more questions about cancer? Are they becoming more aware about death and, um, what it means to have someone be sick and realizing that their little subconscious minds, even if they're, they're making sense of what's going on right then and there in the future, they start thinking about that time and they don't even realize how they've had to adapt the way that they present themselves in the family system, in the school system, whatever, like however they present themselves, that changed the day that they became a sibling with cancer or the day that they became a child with cancer. Um, Because cancer affects the whole family. The kid with cancer has a different experience um, dealing through cancer than the sibling. And unfortunately, siblings don't really have a whole lot of resources. It is what it is. And I wish that it was different. And that's something that, you know, through networking, we're hoping to make that a different situation for all the other family members. But kids who are siblings also have an experience of what I've noticed in my own practice is because I am, you know, a therapist and I am seeing clients and I've been seeing siblings and things. Siblings have this tendency to feel not, well, sometimes they feel invisible because we know kids who get cancer, they get a lot of attention, right? They got a lot of presence. They've got a lot of people coming in to say, oh, I'm here to see you and just wanted to check on how you're doing and then completely walk right past the sibling and not ask the sibling how they're doing and how they're coping, you know? Um, so yeah, they feel a little bit invisible and unseen. 
They feel like they don't matter. And then that starts translating into, I do not need to add any more stress to my family, to my parents. So they begin to absorb things that they're going through and for the sake of not being a burden. And this is what I've noticed in, in my clinical practice. Kids, siblings who have, you know, a child who has a sibling with cancer, they don't want to add any more burden to the parent. And hey, sometimes even kids with cancer don't want to be a burden to the parent, right? They might be really emotionally in tune with what the parents are feeling. And the funny thing is most parents have this belief system that my kids might be aware that I, you know, my kids are not actually, it's my kids are not aware that I am struggling, but your kids are aware because your kids have a better ability to read nonverbal communication than adults do. Um, so be aware that your child will probably need to process their experience, whether they had cancer or it's a sibling, they, they really deserve to have a place to process their experience and process how that's changed their perception of the world, their perception of how they are as a person and what they need to do to survive and to help the family system survive. They really need that place for that. And really therapy is going to be the ideal place for them to explore that going to a therapist that's trauma informed is going to be your best course of action. Going to a therapist that's trauma informed and maybe has some training in um, something like EMDR or this emotional freedom technique, um, things that help people actually come into awareness of their, their experience and the trauma is going to help them. Even a grief therapist, even if your your child is surviving and is alive, there's no death in the family, um, there is still grieving. They're grieving losses that they could have had as a child. They're grieving things that they, you know, the carefree childhood that they could have had. There's a lot of grief in families that are faced with cancer. So keep in mind that finding a therapist that is trauma or grief um, informed and aware or certified, it's going to be a really good place to start. And then it's narrowing down. Are they willing to work with a family that is going through childhood cancer? Um, and if they're familiar with what to do with families like ours, because I went through three therapists last year, three, I finally found my person. Um, but I had to start over three times and that was after seeing a therapist before. So my fourth therapist, since my child was diagnosed with cancer has been the person that has been monumental in allowing me to grieve and to process my experience as a parent. So I'm not, I'm, I'm giving you the forewarning. Finding a therapist that's a good fit is not easy. I've had to find, you know, shift around for my kids to like finding the right therapist. So it's important though, to, to allow yourself to process that experience and allow your kids a place to process that experience in a 
without you being the one to have the conversation with them because they may not feel that you're that safe of a person to have those conversations with because they recognize the trauma and the impact of trauma on the whole family system. They don't want to be the burden. They don't want to, you know, rock the boat or ruffle the feathers or whatever, right? Um, They want to be easy and appeasing and, um, even if they are acting out emotionally, it's just a cry for help. So, uh, finding them a good therapist would be a really, pl- uh, ideal place to start and keep that in mind that it, it's not going to be forever. Uh, the way that it should be set up is basically your child will probably process, get to a place where the therapist says they're good for now. And then they hit another developmental milestone, probably around 10, 11 or so where they start understanding death and cancer on a whole different level. And they have all sorts of new questions that they have to process and make sense of, because if not, we as human beings struggle the most in grief because our imagination, what we imagine was the worst situation and what we imagine will be the worst situation. And, um, so, and the story basically is therapy is really important. And I, even if you think that you are doing okay, it's always interesting to have conversations with my people who are like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then realizing like, I'm kind of struggling in my relationship with my spouse. Um, or I feel really stressed out all the time, or I'm just so busy, so busy because we have found ways to not have to address the emotions that are underlying what we're going through. So my encouragement for you is to, Seek the help to process the grief and the trauma that you've experienced. Seek the help for your children to allow them the place to process that grief and the trauma that they've experienced because everybody's experience is going to be different. Everyone's grief will look different in your family. Even if it's because of cancer, everybody's life was impacted in a different way. And each one deserves a place to have a place to to process and to start to heal from the experience and not allow it to dictate the way that we view the world moving forward because that happens. And our subconscious mind, our experiences have this like very subtle way of creeping into our relationships with other people or the way that we um, cope to survive. Um, So if you have any questions, any thoughts, let me know. You can add it in the post below, or you can reach out to me directly uh, through instant message or instant message, private message, DMs, whatever you want to call them, right? Like uh, (laughs) instant message so dates me. (laughs) But on on that regard, just reach out to me. I will be glad to answer any questions and see if I can help um, help you find what you're looking for. So uh, I'll talk to you soon and I hope you guys have a great day. If you have found this podcast helpful or you just love the mission for family chemotherapy, please kindly rate this podcast. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest for additional resources that I do share daily. Please tag and share your friends and other pediatric cancer families that you think would benefit from any of the content for family chemotherapy. Thank you, and I can't wait to share the next episode. Together, we can help heal the whole family.